hello, and welcome back to Journey of a Fearless Female. I'm your host, Paola Rosser, and this week, my guest is Caitlin Kiernan. She is an award-winning journalist, producer, and beauty expert. She is the author of the best-selling book, Pretty Sick, The Beauty Guide for Women with Cancer, as well as the host and co-producer of Walgreens' Feel More Like You Beauty Oncology podcast series. Over the course of her career, Caitlin served as a beauty director at Life & Style and OK Magazines, as well as the lead producer who helped launch Amazon Live. Her freelance work has appeared in the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, Harper's Bazaar, Elle, People, Style Watch, O, the Oprah Magazine, Refinery29, COVID Tour, The Zoe Report, and The Today Show, among others. Currently, Caitlin is the beauty director for a Talk Shop Live, the leading live streaming platform in the U.S., and hosts a live shoppable interview series with every Wednesday called The Beauty Edit. She can also be seen dishing beauty tips and tricks on TikTok. Follow her at Kate Kiernan. Everybody, please welcome Caitlin. Hi. How are Hi. you? Wow, that's a mouthful. I'm so I know. sorry. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> I've done too much. <laughs> I know. Oh my gosh. You have quite a fearless female journey. Tell us everything from the beginning. Let's go back to childhood. What kind of woman were you then? You know, I was a loud, obnoxious child. I think I was a little too much to handle for my parents. Precocious, probably. And I think that that's always just been who I am. I've been a very outspoken person sometimes not for my benefit, but, you know, we learn these things as we get older. <laughs> but yeah, I was just, you know, I had, I was, I have two siblings, two sisters and a half brother. So it was, a, it was a lot of female energy in our house when I was young, but we were, you know, we're hardcore Irish. So we were really raised to be hardworking and to get out there early. I mean, my first job was, I was 10 years old. Wow. Yeah, I was a, I was a I was a counselor. I was like a CIT in training at the YMCA. But we were expected to have jobs very early on, carry our own weight, do our own thing. And I think that just always made me like a hard worker and a go-getter. But, you know, I think that growing up like I never really knew who I was and I don't think I really knew who I was until I was diagnosed with breast cancer and went through that whole journey. And I, I think I am more of the woman I am today because of that experience. So take so. us back to that day when you got the diagnosis. Like, how did you feel? How old were you? Was it yeah. like the clock stopped for you? You know, honestly, I come from a family of women with cyst, you know, cystic breasts. So for anybody listening, that's like when you have natural you know, fibrous lumps in your breast. It's just a very natural thing. Some people are more prone to it. I had one, my gynecologist found it during my annual exam and said, you know, just let's go get this checked out. Let's mm. rule it out. So I went, I had a biopsy. They told me the results would be in, in a week. And the following morning I was sitting at my desk. I was having a staff meeting and my phone rang and I really picked it up because I thought it was like my boss calling me. Yeah. And it was some random doctor at the hospital who blurted it out over <gasps> the phone, I'm like literally sitting there in front of 10 people and trying to like keep my composure. Hmm. And I just thought to myself, you know, I, I said to everybody, could you just give me a minute? And I like left the room and went to a conference room and I called my father and I said, can you please call this doctor back? Because A, I'm in the middle of the meeting and B, I don't think it's right. They told me the results were going to be back in a week. 
It was literally yesterday afternoon at like three o'clock. It can't be right. Yeah. So, and I had had enough wherewithal to like take her number down because slowly as she started talking to me, it became like slow motion where I was like losing the information she was talking to, you know, she was saying to me, she wasn't my doctor. I had never met this woman. She wasn't the person who did the, the biopsy. And I knew that by the end of my meeting, like my meeting went on for like a half an hour. And when I didn't hear from my father, I was like, this is not a good sign. This is like, either he's on the phone, getting a lot of information, or they're trying to figure out if, if they did call the wrong person. And, you know, he called me back and he was just like, I'm so sorry to be the one to tell you. And I just remember being like, I can't even believe this is happening. Mm-hmm. I was always a healthy person. I played sports. I played soccer for years. You know, I never, I, you know, I social smoked in college, but it would be like one at a party, like my freshman year. And then I was like, this is disgusting. <laughs> I wasn't a huge drinker because I did play sports and I'm a tiny person. And I just really don't feel great when I drink a lot of alcohol. So it was just really a very surreal experience. And I remember, you know, the process of going and getting your doctors and everything is very backwards. You see a surgeon before you see your, your, you know, a main oncologist, you see the surgical oncologist before a regular oncologist. And I remember when I, I having this meeting, it's actually funny how I, how, how I chose my doctor, because it really ties into a sort of my beauty background. I remember like my gynecologist referring me to the surgical oncologist and she was a young woman. And I went into her office and I was, first of all, relieved that she was young because I was like, okay, good. She's going to know all the new stuff. She's going to be great. And I I'm, I'm sitting there and she's telling me all the surgery that she's going to have to do to my breast and what, what that looks like. And I was really distracted by her chin hairs. (laughs) And I thought to myself, this woman cannot be my surgeon because we don't share the same aesthetic. Any woman who's going to allow herself to have four billy goat gruff hairs sticking off of her chin. And they they were not small. These were like long chin hairs. And I was like, what is, is this a joke? Like this woman can't cut open my breast. Like I don't trust, I, I lost trust in her. And I remember I, I got really nervous and started calling around and I called on everybody I knew to get me to a surgeon that I felt like I connected with. I remember getting connected to Dr. Elisa Port, who ended up being my surgical oncologist at the Jubin Center in in New York at um, Mount Sinai. And I remember I was crying and I dropped my tissue. And when I picked it up, I spied under her desk, a Birkin bag. And I was like, this is my bitch. This is my bitch. Well, you definitely have to pick somebody that you connect with because it's not like, it's not like, you know, you're going to go shopping with somebody, you're going to surgery, you know, and you're trusting this person in your most vulnerable state where you're completely under anesthesia and they're going to do something that's going to leave scars. And this is going to be your new body that you're going to look at that you're going to look at every single day. And I could see where you could see somebody who doesn't care about their chin hairs. How is she going to care about whether or not she's going to, you know, have the nicest scars or be gentle with, with my body? Yeah. And it's also a person that is with you literally for the rest of your life. Like, you know, you, when you have a cancer diagnosis, you don't ever really leave that behind. You may 
go into remission and become a survivor, which I am now, thank goodness. But, you know, you are constantly seeing these people. You're going back for exams. So it is when you choose doctors, and I always really, I say this all the time to my audience on TikTok and when I wrote my book, your relationship with your doctors is a lifelong relationship. So choose wisely. It it is Mm -hmm. better to... Most likely when you're diagnosed with cancer, you've had that cancer in your body for a while, waiting an extra day, week, month to find the right fit. I mean, obviously you don't want to wait a month, but you want to really take the time to vet the surgeons that, that you, that you find and, and all doctors. And, you know, she was a guiding light in my, in my, my cancer journey. You know, I remember her saying to me, like, this is your decision. The way we move forward with everything is going to be your decision. I'm going to execute what you want, but this is going to be your decision. So, so it was great to have her, but I remember saying to her, it was, I was diagnosed in July. My, my first surgery was scheduled for August. And I said to her, you know, I'm expected to go to fashion week. It's so funny because it's fashion week now. So it's like, (laughs) you know, eight years later or whatever. But I said to her, I was like, you know, am I going to be able to go to fashion week? You know, like I, I want to go to Europe. I want to go. And she was like, oh, honey, like this is going to be, this is a marathon. And, you know, three years later, that's how long it took between all of my surgeries, my reconstruction, my chemotherapy. It was a three year journey and it really just completely changed who I was. I always thought, okay, once it's all done, I'm just going to go back to like the woman I was. I'm going to go back to working. I'm going to be, you're never the same person. It was, mm. that was the biggest delusion in my mind. And I think I still find myself being like, okay, I'm going to get back to that goal waiter. I'm going to be, no, you're a totally, totally different person. But I do say like cancer almost killed me, but it's, it really changed my life because in that moment, when I finally realized, wow, you know, you're facing a terminal diagnosis. I really took a step back and I was like, I get an opportunity now to change some shit and I should be really radical with what Mm -hmm. I'm, I am about to do, because if I have six months left to live, if I have a year left to live, like I want it to be the best time. I never want to look back on my life and say that I would have, could have, should have, or that I didn't, I was in a shit relationship. I was in a job that I hated. It was a glamorous job. It had all the trappings that make people be like, oh, I wish I had your job. You know, the free swag of being a beauty editor. And, you know, I was dating a a person who was a also an editor and it was a very glamorous life, but it wasn't a happy life. Mm. And I remember just, I remember one day walking into work my boss at the time was not a very nice person. She got mad at me about something someone else did under me. And she threw her glasses on the table. And I remember they bounced off of the table and hit me in my chest. Oh my, my chest God. That was, you know, I was still working and doing everything during my cancer treatment because cancer treatment has come so far that you can still live a life. And I literally walked out of the job that day, <sighs> right then and there. I was like, I'm out of here. You know what? This is not it. I came home. I broke up with my boyfriend of nine years. Wow. I, Literally, ju- and my father was like, I think maybe like the, the everything is affecting you, the chemotherapy, like I, I slow down, like be careful. And I was like, <laughs> you know what? I'm not. This is the one chance that people look at you and they're like, okay, she's going through some major stuff. So we're not going to like, we're going to back off and just let her do her thing. And I was like, this is the moment to really just pivot and make those really radical changes that I need to make in my life. And yeah. it was really crazy two years after that. 
Isn't it amazing that it had to be a diagnosis of cancer for you to open up your eyes to see like how delicate life truly is? And that's something that everybody who is listening should really pay attention. Like we don't have to wait for the breast cancer diagnosis. Like life is truly so precious. And every single day that you're living in misery or in a shitty relationship or in a job that you hate is another day wasted because life truly has an ending. That's something that we all need to like be aware of. We don't have the time or date that we're going to die, but death is a guarantee for every single one of us. So instead of waiting till we retire to actually live the life that we've always wanted or dreamed of, why, why wait for that cancer diagnosis or that really horrible accident to happen for you to be like, Oh, now, now it's time to live life. Right? Yeah. This episode is sponsored by Coach Snap. Are you looking for an all-in-one platform to help you build your coaching business? Then you need CoachSnap. It allows you to schedule appointments, collect payments, train and support all of your clients' needs. Health, fitness, hockey, football, or even life coaches can use CoachSnap. It's the business platform that will help you be the best coach you can be. And I think too, because I lost my health, that I realized like how precious your body is. Like, you know, I also, the year before my diagnosis had had a, a really pretty bad back surgery. It was a really crap five years. I gotta be honest <laughs> with you. But you know, when you really lose a part of your body and you lose the ability to have movement and, and flexibility and, and things that we just take for granted, like you were saying, it's, it really opens your eyes up to caring for yourself. You know, if there's things that I learned it's to be, it's to stay present and to be grateful. Those two things are really game changers. And, you know, I think I had to be in a chemo ward and sweet to, and watch other people leave and hear about people who didn't get to the end. And, you know, to really say, wow, this is like a, this is a real, this is a real blessing. Our bodies Mm -hmm. are, regardless of what faith you subscribe to, the the fact that we're here in this moment on earth in these human bodies is just a really unique experience. And we should just be, uh, we should honor our bodies and our emotional, you know, journeys, not just the physical journey, but the emotional journey. And now that I'm older, I'm like crickety. And, and I'm like, <laughs> I just want to go out and, you know, now I want to act like a 20 year old. I want to go out and party and like get, get in as much living in it as I possibly can, you know? Right. So. <laughs> so how did it affect you as a beauty guide and a beauty guru, like to go through chemotherapy and to lose your hair and yeah. to lose your eyebrows and your eyelashes? I know because my sister went through, she had colon cancer and she had long, long hair that she'd never cut since she was young. She would only trim it. She had beautiful, beautiful long hair and she lost it all. Like, and for women, your hair and your eyebrows and like your eyelashes, everything is like who you are. Like, you know, yeah. it's like how, how you present yourself and now you are, and especially your breasts. How did that, like, how did you go through that, those emotions and those feelings of losing that part of you and knowing yeah. you're going to regain it. But during that time, you're not only physically and emotionally drained, but health wise too. You know, the interesting thing about cancer is that the minute you're, and it's really the side effects that everybody sees, right? But it's those side effects that take it from a very personal journey to a very public one. And Mm. so at a certain point, very quickly, like I think it was 14 days after my first chemotherapy session that I started to lose my hair. And 
you know, once that happens, it's everybody's business. So, you know, you really don't get to have private moments. And I had a really bad reaction to the chemotherapy. I started getting hives and it was just a really, like my body just went toxic. Like I was taking Benadryl to try to offset the, it was really bad. And I think that it gave me a whole new perspective about beauty and like products that actually live up to what they're supposed to do. But there's, you know, when you go, when you're going through chemotherapy, it's a totally different, like you can't use anything with an antioxidant because antioxidants keep cells alive. And the whole point of chemotherapy is to kill all the cells. So you're really like, you have to learn a whole new thing, a whole new beauty regimen, but you know, there are people that are like all natural. I'm very, I'm very definitive about this one thing. There is a whole set of people within the cancer community that are like, you've got to only use natural. You've only got to use, you know, they become very like militant about using only natural. But what I like to say to those people is, well, poison ivy is all, is all natural. Mercury <laughs> is all natural, but you're not going to go rubbing them over your body. And delivery systems are, are just as important, if not more so than using all natural ingredients. You know, when you think about like back in the day, like we know all know, like here's a perfect example, like oatmeal, an oatmeal bath will help calm and soothe skin, right? But if you use oatmeal, you pour oatmeal in your bath, it's a mess to pick up. It's not going to go into your skin very quickly. It's going to take a really long time. But then you look at a brand like Aveeno, who's been able to isolate the molecule that's in the oat that helps deliver all that good stuff to your skin. And now they've been able to perfect it. So I just think you use things that are science-based and evidence-backed. It changed just in terms of like how I approach skincare, which is I really like science and cosmeceutical brands the best because they really are effective. Oh, awesome. And how did you, when did you start writing your book? So I started writing my book towards the tail end of my illness because people were saying to me, oh, wow, you know, your skin is really good. You've like, I was able to really hold on to a lot of and care for myself. And the way that I did that was I called on every single beauty expert that I had ever interviewed for the magazine. And at the end, I was like, you know, a lot of these tips, which were very easy, simple things to do, got me really through a lot of the hard parts of and the hard treatments. And I was like, I have just got to, I've been so blessed that I've had the best doctors, the best care that I've got to pay this forward. Mm -hmm. There's never been a beauty guide written for women to help them navigate one of the toughest journeys they're ever going to live through, hopefully live through. And so I wrote pretty sick, the beauty guide for women with cancer. And ironically, Five years before that, I had my illustrator, I had met, she was an illustrator for Dior. I had met her at a beauty event and I shot her an email after the event. And I was like, if I, I just love your work so much. And I hope that if I ever write a book, you'll, you'll illustrate it for me. And she was like, it's a deal. I don't Aww. think she ever thought I was going to call her up on it, but <laughs> she actually did it. She was so busy. I mean, she was, she's the illustrator for the New York city ballet and for Nike. And she does all these amazing things. And her name is Jamie Lee Reardon. You can look her up. She's an amazing illustrator, but she did it. She, she illustrated my book and it's probably one of my favorite things about my book, you know, my publisher wanted to do a black and white book. And I was like, you know, the cancer journey is such a miserable, dark experience. It needs to be fun. It needs to be whimsical. It needs to be just, it needs to be a distraction. And that's how it came to be. But yeah. Oh, 
That's awesome. So talking about beauty and cancer and all of those things that you've learned, what would you say is your nugget of wisdom for women who are listening to this that are dealing with cancer and still want to look pretty, you know, and still want to feel sexy and themselves, even though they're going through this dark journey? What would be your nugget of wisdom or advice that you would give them? Well, first of all, never let anybody tell you that you don't have the right to ask questions about what your aesthetic is going to be before, during, and after your cancer, whether it's chemotherapy or reconstruction. You know, I remember one time talking about the, my reconstruction and someone said, Oh, what, what do you care? It's, I can't believe you're worried about a boob job. Like you should be lucky that you're surviving. And I'm like, I am a young person. I have the right to be able to choose doctors who are qualified and are going to be able to make, to have my body look like a a regular female body. Mm -hmm. And I got a lot of that. Like people are like, well, who cares about your hair? You're fighting cancer. You should be focused on your health. And I'm like, But listen to me, beauty treatments are an adjunct therapy to cancer treatments. Mm -hmm. They help you look and feel your best. I am the biggest advocate for, you know, when you put on a lipstick, you instantly feel a little bit more glamorous. When your hair, when you have a good blowout, you feel that it is no different for a woman going through cancer treatment. So I say, do what makes you feel good. You know, don't listen to anybody else. Ask the questions, be diligent and Do what you want that makes you feel the best you can, because feeling good is really an important part of it. Yeah. It's a huge part of your healing journey too, during that time, because your the medicine itself is going to make you feel disgusting and gross and your body is literally fighting cancer, but that doesn't mean you can't look good while doing it. Right. It doesn't mean that whatever makes you feel good you should be able to do that. I love that. So Caitlin, how can my audience find you and how can they get your book? So my book, Pretty Sick, The Beauty Guide for Women with Cancer is on Amazon. It's at Barnes and Noble. You can go onto my website and purchase it. My website is caitlinkiernan.com. I'm easy to find on TikTok. It's just Kate, C-A-I-T, Kiernan, K-I-E-R-N-A-N. And my handle is the same everywhere. Twitter, Instagram, and my link tree also has the link to my website. So you can hit me up there. And that's where I am. I'm everywhere. (laughs) Well, thank you again for being on this show. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you again for listening to Journey of a Fearless Female. I'm your host, Paola Rosser. If you love this episode, make sure to share it with your friends. You can find me on the internet at fearlessfemale.com, on Facebook, The Fearless Female Movement, on Instagram, at Fearless Female Podcast. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. And ladies, remember, we have the power to rise and face everything. Until next week, goodbye. Goodbye.